Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. Wonderful to see you. Are you enjoying this summer weather? Oh, man, come on. Let's have another couple months of this. That would be all right, wouldn't it? It's good to have you here. Maybe you're a guest with us. We do have friends who come to visit the most beautiful place on earth in the summer, and we want to welcome you. Glad that you're here. And uh, just want to tell you that although it's beautiful now, it does rain all winter. So I'm sorry, but you know what? It's a wonderful place all year long, and we're so happy that we get to live here and serve God together here. So uh, I'm going to continue in our series, and um, I'm going to actually jump back to something that Lucas talked about last week. Pastor Lucas was in chapter 13. I'm going to reference the beginning of chapter 13, and in my heart, what I felt was that I think God wanted to give us some double emphasis on that particular part. So please don't lean away and say, oh, I heard this last week from, uh, from Lucas. Lean in because I think there's something that the Lord wants to emphasize for you in it. So, you know, throughout this series, what we're doing is we're sharing the great story of the early church, its formation, its power, its movement across the world. But there's something I would hate for you to miss. And, you know, sometimes when we look at uh, the scripture, when we look at a storyline in the Bible, we have a tendency to say, wow, wasn't that neat when that happened. But I want you to know that the point of us looking back is that we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. And we're really hopeful that we're going to be inspired and encouraged that the Holy Spirit can work in us. Amen? And so as we look at this message together today, keep that in mind. We're looking at how the Holy Spirit could potentially work through us by looking back at the stories and seeing how God worked at that time. And so um, as we consider that concept of the Holy Spirit at work in us, let me just talk to you for a minute about the work of the Spirit. The first thing I want to say to you is that the Holy Spirit does some amazing things. I'm going to share three things with you, sort of off of the top of the message, and then I'll share, uh, I'll continue to share um, kind of more more connected to, we're going to jump from 13 over to 16, which is actually where we're going to land today. Uh, And I want to start by saying this, the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to you. Did you know that? Did you know that it was the, that it's the Holy Spirit that reveals Jesus to you? In other words, sometimes you feel a tug in your heart. Sometimes you're in worship and you just feel emotion. Um, sometimes you're reflecting and you feel um, a, a sense of closeness. I want you to know it's the Holy Spirit that's at work revealing Jesus. And a few weeks ago, we looked at the story of Cornelius, who was this Roman centurion who Peter went and preached the gospel to, and asked As Peter was preaching to him, the Holy Spirit revealed Jesus to him. Him and all of his house were filled with the Spirit. And Peter said, man, we got to catch up. We better get these guys baptized in water. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was revealing Jesus. In fact, the Bible tells us that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's at work right now. At the very beginning of the uh, story that we've been looking at, the book of Acts, Peter preaches and 3,000 people cut to the heart, the Bible says, say, what must I do to be saved? That's because the Holy Spirit told them Jesus is who he said he was. And, And that is the nature of the Spirit of God, even working today. So here we are. We're going to respond to those promptings, those tuggings in our heart. 
Maybe for you today, as um, Pastor Chris was saying, this is the day where the things of Jesus become real to you. And if that happens, I want you to know, that's God at work in you. That's the Holy Spirit at work in you that is testifying to who Jesus really is. So that's the first thing that we need to remember about the work of the Holy Spirit. Second thing is this. The Holy Spirit doesn't just reveal Jesus to you. The Holy Spirit reveals your purpose to you. And that's actually where it becomes very exciting. Did you know we live in a world that's looking for meaning? right? In fact, if you were to get out right now, because I did it this week, get your phone out and Google searching for meaning, um, you would find a tremendous amount of data. You would find so much. Why? Because the world is on a search for meaning. In fact, there is endless numbers of books that will help you discover meaning and purpose in your life, because this is something that people are really, really after. And so many people feel alone in this pursuit. They feel unfulfilled. And so they go to try to find purpose. And you could read book after book after book, and you might even find contradictory information about discovering meaning in your life. But here's the thing that I'm encouraged about. It's the Holy Spirit who reveals his purpose in me. And so isn't it good to know you're not alone? Isn't it good to know you're not alone to try to figure it out, what God's purpose is for your life? You're not stuck in a place where you're trying to figure it out because the Holy Spirit is ready and willing to reveal your purpose to you. And so I want to look at um, Acts 13, where the, uh, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas are discovering this exact uh, purpose, the purpose being revealed by the Holy Spirit. So let's look at it together. And we're going to touch down here and then we're going to fly over to 16. So let's touch down here for a minute. This is uh, something that you might have heard last week as Lucas was reading from this passage. Now, context is it's the church in Antioch. They've gathered together. Paul and Barnabas are there. They've been preaching and teaching for a couple of years. It's been in a wonderful development of that local church. And so then it says this in verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, so the Holy Spirit's speaking here, he's revealing, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. So this is the first of three missionary journeys that Paul takes. We're going to look at this first one. It's with Barnabas. The second one is with a guy named Silas, and then a larger company joins. But at this moment, it's Paul and Barnabas set apart for the work that they have been called to do. Set apart. That's an important phrase. Because they were set apart. The Holy Spirit said, I'm revealing something to you. Here's what it is, and I want you to do it. Did you know, though, that you two are set apart? Sometimes we feel like, wow, that's really cool for Paul. That's really cool for Barnabas. But remember, we started today by saying, the Holy Spirit wants to work in us as well. You're set apart. Let me prove it to you. Here's what the Bible says in Ephesians 2. It says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You have a created purpose. It's been established in the, in the past for the future. God designed you for something. In other words, you are set apart for a created purpose from God, and the Holy Spirit wants to reveal that to you. So that's very encouraging. 
So as we read on in that passage, we discover that um, the church surrounded Paul and Barnabas. And what happened? They put their hands on them. They placed their hands on them. And that is an important picture. Because as the Holy Spirit reveals purpose, God will often bring people, bring the church around to confirm that and bless you in that. And so that's why I'm so thankful to be a part of the local church, because the local church is a place where calling is affirmed and exercised and we grow in those things. And so I'm thankful for the church gathering around and saying, we heard the Holy Spirit with you and we bless you and we send you out. So understand this, the Holy Spirit can and will confirm Confirm your purpose through other people. So why is it that people don't, on the whole, come into this great sense of purpose in their lives? Why is it that many people struggle for meaning, if you will? Why is it that many people live their whole life, even Christians live their whole lives, with always sort of like, I'm not sure if I'm finding God's will or God's plan or God's direction? I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts on that. The first one is this, because one of the reasons is because people try to figure it out alone. And so you're left with your own, um, you know, it's kind of like a cyclical pattern in your own thinking, in your own way of looking at it. You only see what you see. You're not aware of your blind spots. You're not able to see beyond. You're not hearing what others are saying. You're not learning from others. And so you try to go it alone, and you end up stuck in a cycle that continues on. And then there's also another aspect, you know, in this passage, we learn, the Bible tells us that They were fasting, they were praying, they were worshiping, and in the midst of that, purpose was dropped into their hearts. And so what am I saying here? The reason why many people don't have a clear direction is because it requires focus and effort. And the truth is, we would rather have an internet health coach. We would rather find a life hack We would rather jump on that new financial investment strategy that's going to change it all for us. But here's what I'm believing. I'm believing that in your heart, God is doing something. Because God is looking for people who will say, I am set apart. Therefore, I will set myself apart so that I can hear the Holy Spirit because he has something to say. Amen? Get alone with God. Let God speak to you. Find quiet spaces. Reflect on God's goodness. Seek him in quiet. Prayer. Worship. I can't begin to tell you how clear things have become for me in times of fasting. It's a wonderful way to focus, to require that that extra something from the Lord. I want to hear you. I want to know you. I want to know your plan and your will. So the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. The Holy Spirit reveals your purpose. But another wonderful aspect of this whole thought is that the Holy Spirit also wants to direct you in fulfilling that purpose. So just follow me here. Jesus is revealed to you. You become a follower of Jesus. Then purpose is revealed to you, and you're excited. And God does that. You didn't have to search for it. But then you can be in a, a place where you feel like you're carrying quite a heavy weight. Not, it's no longer you just living life. Now you've got to fulfill the plan of God. <laughs> That's a little heavy, isn't it? Oh, man, can you imagine walking around with that? Can I tell you, put it down. 
Put it down because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus will be revealed to you. Your purpose will be revealed to you. And what we're going to see in this next passage is the Holy Spirit will actually lead you in fulfilling that purpose. So not only does God reveal it, he also does it in you. That's why I love what uh, Colossians chapter 1 says because it says this. It says that I work with his powerful energy at work in me. His powerful energy at work in me. And this is the partnership of the Holy Spirit. You're not on your own to figure it out, and you're not on your own to live it out. That's good news, isn't it? That makes purpose even more exciting, because it's not a new job to do. It's a new journey, a new adventure with Jesus. So we're going to fast forward now. We're going to jump into Paul's second missionary journey, which is in Acts 16. And we're going to read from there. But what we're going to see in this second missionary journey is exactly what we're talking about here. How the Holy Spirit directs and how Paul responds to that direction. And in this partnership, there's a fulfilling of his purpose, okay? And it's the same with you. You're going to see what I mean in just a moment. Let's read together. Uh, Paul and his companions, this is verse 6, traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been, this is important, kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And I've mentioned this before, but Asia is not a continent in this context. It's a Roman province, which is in southern uh, western Turkey, southwestern Turkey. That's a region that's known as the province of Asia. So he wasn't able to go there. He was restrained. Did you see that? He was actually restrained by the Holy Spirit from doing what he thought was the fulfillment of the purpose. No, nope, that's not it. I'm going to direct you. Keep reading. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. Now, Bithynia actually in future times will be an incredible um, Christian hub. It's Constantinople. It's very Christian. And from there, the gospel spread many directions. But the spirit of Jesus, that's what it says here. The spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go into Bithynia. And so now what? On one side, he can't go here. On the other side, he can't go here. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas, which is on the coast, just below ancient Troy. And so now he's on the coast. He's looking across to Greece, and he's wondering, what now? I've got no more real estate. Like, I'm out. It's ocean. What am I supposed to do now? And then in the night, verse 9, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding. So can't go here, can't go here, listening for the direction. God leads us here, concluding as a result of the direction of the Holy Spirit, right? Concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So why is this so, so cool? This is so cool because Paul's about to step out of Asia into Europe. And we're about to see, in the next little bit, the first European converts in his ministry. Absolutely wonderful. It's a brand new adventure. They're going off on a brand new adventure in a brand new area. And it's so exciting. It's thrilling. And I also want you to note that in this passage, there's a shift. At the beginning, it talks about they went here and they did this and they. And then all of a sudden, in the last verse, it switches to we. So the writer of the book of Acts was Luke. 
And Luke, at this point in 16, joins with Paul. And so from now on, it's a we story instead of a they story. It's no longer secondhand information. It's firsthand experience. And that is super, super exciting. And so this is the kind of the next, the next step. They conclude that it's time to go into Europe. And so listen, how does this apply in our lives? Just hear me say this. God intends for your life to be a great adventure in his amazing plan. God wants your life to to be fun. His purpose and fulfilling that purpose is exciting and thrilling. I've always said this to my children. I said it when I was a youth pastor. I say it to young adults. I'll say it to you today. Listen, if you give your life to God, if you let him direct your path, you will have the greatest adventure of your entire life. I think there's people who still feel like, man, if I do what God says, if I go with God's will, it's going to be a reduction to my life. And that is so not true. That's a lie from the enemy. That's because someone corrected you at some point and said, that can't be God's will for your life. And all of a sudden you felt like, oh, but that's what I wanted to do. And so now I'm being reduced. I'm being hemmed in. And that's not the case at all. God says, you have no idea what the adventure is that I want to take you on. You have no idea the people I want you to meet, the places I want you to go, the intersections, divine appointments, moments of great courage and strength, moments of heartbreak and moments of rediscovery and moments of experience like you you've never had before. That's what God does. God makes your world bigger, not smaller. So Macedonia is quite an interesting place, and you may know some of this history, but uh, the area that was known as ancient Macedonia consists of current uh, parts of Greece and the the nation of North Macedonia. Those two areas together make up this ancient Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is significant because Macedonia is where Alexander the Great was from. And so, in other words, at one point, pre-Roman Empire, Alexander the Great left from Macedonia to conquer the world, one of the greatest empires. That was the, the spread of the Greek Empire. And so you can imagine that There was strength, there was culture, there was beauty, there was a sense of of victory that still existed within the Macedonian people. And so when the Romans took over, they decided, man, we can't handle this massive land land mass and all these people who have this more of a conquering kind of spirit, or we're going to have problems. So what they did is they took Macedonia and they broke it up into three different districts, and they put a leading city in each of those districts. And so in the north, it was Philippi. In the central part, it was Thessalonica. And in the lower part, it was Berea. And those become the three places that Paul's second missionary journey takes him. Why? Because he's not going to some backwoods place where it's easy. He's going to go to the metropolitan area. He's going to preach the gospel. He wants to see the world know this message. And boy, was he ever brave and a little bit crazy. Okay, so we're going to read about it now. This is kind of exciting as he moves into uh, Macedonia, into Europe. Let's look at what happens first. A really positive start as he lands over in Philippi. On the Sabbath, 
we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. This was a very Jewish thing to do. If there wasn't a synagogue, you went out of the city, away from all of those people who don't know uh, your God and don't practice worship the way you do. And you'd go find a quiet place, usually by water. That was significant for them. And so Paul... He's Jewish. He's doing a Jewish thing here. He said, we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth, which actually is important because it means she's rich. Because purple cloth dealers dealt with royalty, and purple was the most expensive um, color to dye things to because they used a little tiny sea animal that would give you like a drop, and then you need another little sea, lots of little squishy sea animals in order to make some purple dye. So it was very, very, very expensive. And so she had wealth. She was a worshiper of God, it says next. As a worshiper of God, what that means is she was, she's from Thyatira, so she's Greek, she's not Jewish, but she had become a convert to Judaism. She believed in the one true God. And so that's why it says worshiper of God. Anywhere you see that in, in the book of Acts, it means that they had converted first to Judaism and then through the storyline become Christians. And that's what we're about to see. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So this is off to a great start. The first convert in Europe was Lydia. And Lydia was this uh, wonderful person and says, come on, let me show you hospitality. It's like, boy, the city gates are open. We're staying in the Pashi Posh house. It's going to be awesome. And and that's about as far as the good news goes. It's all tough from here on out. So that's what we're going to be looking at in just a minute. Let me show you uh, Lydia's baptism site. We were just there with our, our team uh, from the church that went to Turkey and Greece to see the seven churches and then uh, the footsteps of Paul. This is the baptism site of Lydia. So this is a little river that was outside of the city of ancient Philippi. And we got to stop here, read the story, reflect um, a little bit of teaching. Sometimes people people get baptized here. That's, that's what that little area is for there. Um, we stuck our feet in the water. It was quite pleasant. So what, the reason why I show you this is just so you can have a context. It was either right there or very close to right there where Paul sat with Lydia and the very first European convert was born. That's pretty neat, isn't it? You should go there with me someday. Let's go back. It's pretty cool. So I want to share that with you, and then I'm going to get on to the rest of the message. i got a couple more pictures I'll show you today. So it's all been good news so far. It's been exciting. Let me just give you this thought as we move into the next phase of Paul's ministry, and that's simply this. God faithfully teaches us that purpose and comfort are not the same. Can anybody say amen to that? Even if you don't really want to, you have to because it's true. You know, comfort... And calling are not the same thing. Purpose and comfort are not necessarily synonymous. Sometimes we have a, a formula about that. I'll talk to you about that in just a minute. So what happens next is Paul and his companions leave Lydia's house and they go out into Philippi and they uh, are preaching the gospel and, and, and God's good and, and they're, they're going, but there's this girl that's following them around. And this girl had a spirit by which she could tell the future. And so she was following them around. And um, she was not in control of herself. This spirit was controlling her, this evil spirit. 
but she was following them around. And here's what the Bible says happens next. She followed Paul and Silas and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. So she's right. She's telling them the truth. But the problem was, is this is not the kind of press that God needs nor wants. Jesus doesn't need the help of demons to bring his message to the world. And so she kept this up for many days. And finally, Paul became so annoyed. And all the mothers in the room said, amen. (laughs) Nothing like a little child following you around shouting things, right? (laughs) Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. She was free. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm I'm sure she felt light. I'm sure she felt liberty. I'm sure she felt herself for the first time in who knows how long. But verse 19, it tells the other part of the story. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, so they could no longer exploit her, They could no longer traffic her. They could no longer misuse her. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. So all of a sudden, it's getting real for Paul and Silas and their entourage. This um, this place where they took them, the marketplace, it's known as the Agora. That was what they would call it, the Agora. And the Agora was the Roman way, it was a Greek way too, of gathering together all of the commerce into one place. And there would be shops all around and people would be selling all their stuff. But right there, Rome would set up their judgment seat called the Bema, their whipping post, and then they would have a magistrate's office. And why did they do that? They did that because Roman put, the Romans put justice out front. The Romans put authority out front. They always wanted you to know that we are here, we are watching, and if you're not careful, you will pay. And that's why they would publicly whip. And so here comes Paul, and he is brought before these magistrates. I mean, Paul could have said, I was following you, God, right? I was doing what you said. I freed this girl. I did something good, but why are the results less than positive? And many of you have felt that way. Let's be real. We have felt like, hey, I feel like I'm doing my part of the deal here. God, where are you? Some of you felt disappointed by God or maybe even angry with God. You felt like he's not holding up his end of the bargain. And the bargain that we strike with God sounds something like this. You lead, I follow, you bless. That's the way it goes. And so when it doesn't go that way, we're left feeling like, hey, God, what's going on? But that's not what we see in Paul, because I guess Paul probably understood something we should all learn, that our formula and God's formula are not the same. We can make a bargain with God that he has no, intending of, no intention of making with us. He already made a bargain with us. How about I save your life through my son Jesus, right? So sometimes we want to make a bargain with God that he's not making, or our formula isn't the same as God's. Think about the timeline here. He frees this girl. He's dragged to the authorities. And the next thing is he is beaten and then thrown into prison. And I have some pictures I'm going to show you. We'll put them up right now. So this stone that you see here on the left, that's um, Latin. It's written in Latin. That stone was on the top of a pillar before an earthquake 
toppled it. And so it's on the ground now. And I took this photo from the front of that pillar with the steps in the background. Um, uh, I wanted you to see those steps. Because what this inscription tells us is that that back there is the magistrate's office. So in other words, those steps right there, the Apostle Paul stood there. He stood there before the magistrates. When he was dragged into the marketplace, it was right there. He stood there. And then just around the corner, we see this sign, the prison of St. Paul. And this is the historical site where they say that Paul was held in prison. It's really hard to know if that's the truth or not, but it gives you a context because the storyline is layered. The storyline is important, and I don't have time to read it all, so you're going to have to trust me. You can read it yourself in Acts 16, but basically, I'm, I'm wanting you to see the timeline here. He frees the girl. He's dragged to the authorities. He's beaten, publicly stripped and beaten, and then thrown into prison. I think it would be fair to say that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem fair for an act of goodness and kindness. It's interesting. Um, we've talked already today about meaning and purpose and the search for meaning and purpose. And uh, Dr. Viktor Frankl in 1947 wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And he wrote it uh, based on his experience in the concentration camps uh, during World War II and Nazi occupation. And he's a, he's a psychologist, and he developed some counseling theories out of this. But basically, he said, I looked around, and I saw people who were going crazy, people who were actually losing their mind, people who had reclused into like a ball on the floor, people who became so selfish, people who became um, full of rage, and people who basically became like animals. And he said... There's got to be a different way to walk through these kind of experiences. And so what he said is, I want to discover the type of deep meaning that exists no matter the circumstances, no matter what you're going through, no matter what's happening. And so he said there's actually three sources of meaning that can be in play in your life regardless, regardless of your circumstances. And he said the first one was work. You can always do something good. You can always make something more beautiful. You can always help somebody else. So there's always an opportunity, regardless of circumstance, to work and to find meaning in work. The second thing is love. You can find someone to love. You can find something to love. You can choose to be loved, or you can love others. And love, regardless of circumstance, can always exist and create meaning. And the third one is probably the most relevant to our topic today. He said, there's a place of meaning that many of us miss. And that is simply this, that there is meaning in suffering. Maybe my role right now in this concentration camp is to suffer so that someone's suffering might be alleviated. For me to take the blow so someone else doesn't have to. Maybe suffering today produces fruit tomorrow. Suffering today produces relativity tomorrow. I can now relate to somebody else. I can now minister to somebody else. I can now say something out of experience. Maybe suffering today creates my voice tomorrow. 
And so when you start to think about that, all of a sudden you can do away with your formula. The one that you have between God, the one that says, you lead, I follow, you bless. You can say, God, maybe you're up to something else. Because in the midst of the beating and then the imprisonment, they made a decision. Paul and Silas decided that we're not going to get angry. We're not going to get bitter. We're not going to turn into animals in this prison cell, but we're going to worship. And they begin to praise God. And if you know the storyline, what you'll remember is that in the middle of the night, they're praising God, testifying to all listening. And God showed up in an earthquake that broke open the prison. And the jailer who was there was so concerned because his, his role was based on keeping those prisoners in place. He was so concerned that they were gone that he took out his sword and he was going to kill himself. And Paul ran to him and said, no, 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 we're all here. Don't kill yourself. Preaches the gospel to him. Him and his whole family become Christians. And so now all of a sudden we step back, we take a macro view and we go, my goodness, Saul endured beating and imprisonment. He suffered. And here is one of the proofs that God can work in suffering, that God loved the jailer and those in the jail so much that he allowed his servant, Paul, to suffer so that he could reach them with his love. That's not the formula that we want to use, but sometimes it's the formula God chooses. So that's why Paul said years later to the Romans, after all of these experiences and many others had happened to him, I mean, by the time he gets to Rome, He's been in shipwrecks and all kinds of stuff. That's why he says to them in Romans 8.35, he asks them a question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he starts to talk. Maybe he's thinking about all the experiences he's had. He says, shall trouble? Hardship? Persecutions? Famine, nakedness, danger, sword, all things that he experienced. He asks this question, what is it that's going to separate us from the love of God? And he answers in verse 37, he says, no, no, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Loved us. You see, sometimes we experience pain, suffering, loss, and we think God doesn't love us. But I want you to hear me. Someone needs to hear this. The pain you feel doesn't mean you're outside of God's love. <laughs> it doesn't mean that at all. Please remove that thought from your mind. Your pain is not because God doesn't love you. Our suffering so often is a vehicle for us, but often for others to experience the love of God. That's why Paul said, even in all these things, love still wins, love still conquers, love still comes, even if it's not in the shape or the form that we wish it was. And if you recall, when Paul was called by Jesus to his ministry, Ananias was there to pray for him, and God said, said to Ananias, I will show Paul how much he must suffer for me. It was always part of the plan for Paul to be an example of suffering and experiencing the love of God in the midst of it. So he's released from jail in Philippi by God. <laughs> and then he goes with the fresh wounds on his back to Thessalonica. And when he arrives in Thessalonica, 
He has some early fruit, and then the Jews rise up against him, and they run him out of town on threats of his life. So then he goes to Berea like he had planned. And when he gets to Berea, he has early fruit with the Jews, and then the Jews from Thessalonica come and threaten to kill him. And he flees again and gets on a boat and goes down to Athens. And we'll get there later on in our, in our time together. We'll talk about Athens and Corinth later. But the point is, it's amazing to me that he went from place to place to place. And yet he went right back into harm's way. And, and what it makes me think of is that wherever it is that God leads, it will require courage to go there. It's going to require courage. So where is God leading you? It's going to require courage to go there. It's going to require courage. Beaten and jailed in Philippi. I don't think that's going to happen to us, but some of our brothers and sisters are experiencing that right now, and they need courage. Run out of town. We have, a, we have wonderful families, even in our own church, who have come as refugees because their homes have been burned down simply because they're Christians. So maybe it's not happening to us, but it is happening among us. And then he gets to Berea, and it happens all again, but he has such courage. You see, because wherever God leads, it will require courage to go there. This verse is an amazing reflection for us. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing. Like you can't even put them on the same scale. They just, they don't compare with the glory that will be revealed in us. In us. Your sufferings reveal his glory. So where God leads you, it will take courage, but please, please go there. It reminds me of a young woman. I just was attending her wedding, actually, um, about two weeks ago. Her name is Brooklyn Richmond. She grew up here at our church and uh, went off to Bible college and met a great guy, and they got married last week. But... Um, one of the stories that was told, one of the stories I was reminded of at her wedding, actually, was a story of her grade 12 year. She had gone to camp, and it's camp season. In fact, this week is teen camp, so pray with us about Nanus Bay teen camp, 100-plus leaders, hundreds and hundreds of, of, uh, of teens there. And God works at camp. And it was at camp the summer between her grade 11 and 12 year where she felt God speak to her. She heard God say to her, I want you to go to this school. And she had grown up at the same school her whole life. She was on the, the, uh, the senior girls basketball team. And transferring that year would mean that she couldn't play basketball. But she had such a strong sense that it was God that she went. She was ready to suffer because she had heard from God. So she goes to school, and one of the early days in the school, a, a girl comes up to her and says, so I hear you're a pretty big Christian. She said, you know, I just kind of smiled, and she responded and said, well, I'm a pretty big atheist, and walked off. And I do remember 
those early days for Brooklyn, her wondering, why did I do this? Why did I come to Macedonia? <laughs> why did I do this? But as time went on, God opened a door to that girl's heart, that one that was such a big atheist. Fast forward to the end of the school year, they're good friends. And she, Brooklyn, gets the courage to invite her to come to Nanus Bay Camp. And that summer, following her grade 12 year, she was there present and got to lead her friend to Jesus. Such a sweet and simple story, really. But it takes courage to go where God leads, right? And sometimes you don't see the fruit when you're there. <laughs> sometimes in the middle of the trial, you have no idea what's actually being produced, right? Think about the Apostle Paul. How could he have known the effect of his visit to Philippi? How could he have known the power of those letters that he wrote back to the, to the Philippian Christians? How could he have known that the letters of First and Second Thessalonians would give us such great hope on the return of Jesus? How would he have known that thousands of years later we would be standing here living in truth by the Spirit of God because of his trials and faithfulness? You see, when you're in the middle of it, you can't see the long-range plan of God. But if you allow the Spirit of God to lead you, you may not see the fruit, but someone else will. Paul didn't see it, but I get to. I get to see it today, and so do you. And we thank God for this. So church, let's take a moment. Let's bow together in prayer. I want to reflect with you for just a moment. The, the worship team's coming, and they're going to lead us in one of those songs again as a response to this message. But I just have three thoughts for you. And as we reflect together, we're just going to bow our heads and just move into a time of reflection and prayer. And as you listen to my voice, I think there's probably someone here who says, I need a greater revelation of Jesus. You see, I said back at the beginning of the message that the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us. Maybe you need a greater revelation of Jesus. You need to see him for who he is. You need to see him as the son of the living God. You need to see him as the one who came to rescue you. You need to see him as God who emptied himself of everything so that he could come down to you. You need to see him hanging on the cross between heaven and earth, paying a price you couldn't pay. You need to see him rising from the dead and and claiming victory over all the power of the enemy, even death itself, you may be here today and what you need is a greater revelation of Jesus. So I pray, Holy Spirit, make Jesus real. Make Jesus real to me. Make Jesus real in my life. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, I, actually, Andy, I, I just don't really know. I'm not sure of God's purpose in my life. I just want you to know that you can be sure. I'm gonna pray for you right now and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to reveal your purpose 
in the life of that one that says, I'm not quite sure what it is. And I pray that you would give them courage and focus and the capacity to press as they pray and they fast and they seek you and they worship you so that your purpose may become clear to them. And maybe you know exactly what the purpose is. And maybe you've been trying to do that. I think there's someone here who's saying, I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but it's hard. And I want to give up. I want to stop. I want to quit. I want to throw it in. I, I just want it to be easy. But you know that purpose and comfort are not the same thing. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, give courage in Jesus' name. Lord, we may never see the results of our work, of our love, of our suffering, but God, give us courage in the middle of it to just know how good you are. Father, I pray for that one that feels weary and wants to give up, and I ask in Jesus' name that the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit would blow upon their lives and upon every one of us, Lord. May your Spirit come, Holy Spirit come, saturate us, with confidence, with courage, with a fresh revelation of Jesus. We pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Amen.